Job Opportunity, a Stargate Rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 2, Episode 1, The Serpent's Lair. And with us to finish off the Serpent's Arc, she's back again. It's Brianna! Yay! Yay! Self-proclaimed guru of all fictional characters named Daniel. Yes. I I will also proclaim that so you're not just self-proclaimed. Okay. Or also Carrie proclaimed. <laughs> <laughs> self-proclaimed, Carrie confirmed. There we yes, go. There we go. That works. So welcome back. Thanks for coming to join us again today. Thank you for having me, even though I'm 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 a dumb, but That's okay. I'm here. We all have our moments. Yeah. <laughs> And I look at the clock and go, oh, shit. (laughs) Yes, Brianna, where are you? That's all right. You get you made it here eventually. So it's all good. Yes. 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 Um, So before we get into the episode proper, we have a couple things to sort of wrap up, like wrap up, wrap up from season one. Um, in our wrap up episode, if you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. Um, one of the things we mentioned was keeping like a death count of the characters. So I went back and I checked Brie, please feel free to correct me if I'm missing anything, but I believe at this point in time, at the end of season one, before season two has started, the death counts are as follows for our four main characters. Jack, Sam and Tilk all have one death from the Nox. If we include the movie, Daniel has two. Oh, actual okay. deaths or yes, like actual deaths? Actual real deaths. So I believe okay, that's on. where we are. Because he was presumed it, it, dead. See, because it's, it, it's, it's, it's a sticky situation. Because like to my mind, by the time we get to the end of season one, Daniel has been dead four times. But four? two of the fire and water. Yeah. And um, uh, Grace of God. They were getting ready to write him off as dead because they couldn't find him. I don't think they were think getting ready to write him oh, off. Oh, they absolutely just, were because they couldn't think, find him anywhere. They were going to go back without him again. Yeah, but I don't think they were thinking he would. I don't. I never thought they thought he was dead. Well, yeah, I, I think we should got, go with actual actual death. A, actual deaths, yes, yeah. too, if you count the okay. movie. Okay. Um, it's potentially two for just the movie alone because if you do the presumed deaths, Jack went back and reported Daniel dead. But he wasn't. No. So, so, yeah, I think, yeah, going actual, I was about to say real life death is what that does. Real life death. Real life death. Um, only on Stargate and Supernatural can that sentence come out of anyone's mouth. And people know what I mean. Exactly. <laughs> nope. Actual real deaths. So Jackson and Tilk are at one and Daniel is at two. Yes. How about that for an icebreaker at a party, huh? Have you ever been like real life death? <laughs> What's your death count today? <laughs> uh, Wait till we actually get to window of opportunity and ask Daniel oh that question. God. What's your death count today? <laughs> yeah. Too many. Uh, <laughs> yeah, by the okay. time we get to the end of the series, Daniel is actually unknown. All because yeah. of window of opportunity. We have no idea how many times Malachi killed him. Oh, yep. man, then we're going to have to go to perceived death. Oh, <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, And then the other thing was all of the polls that we did for our various best of things. So let's see how you guys on Twitter voted for us. 
So for the best general Hammond episode, the winner is a Broca Divide. Mm. For the best Jack O'Neill episode, that was the Knox. For the best interesting. For the best Tilk episode, we have Cori as the winner. Of course. For the best Samantha episode, it's a tie between Solitudes and Singularity. Oh, okay. For the best Daniel episode, surprise, surprise, it's fire and water. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Daniel wins. Always. (laughs) Always, yes. Uh, Sweet. So my poll's pretty much won except for the Teal'c episode. Yeah. Bam! Go Rachel. Oh, did you think Teal'c would be family? No, Teal'c I went with um, the Children of the Gods because, you know, without Teal'c's boldness, no show. Oh, that's true. So does that comment mean you didn't vote in our polls, Brie? <laughs> hmm. I didn't see your polls, Carrie. They were threaded into the Twitter post about the episode. Well, I did. <laughs> you mean the one I forwarded? <laughs> no, from the season one wrap up. You forwarded, yeah, I know. Like, I or... RT'd the damn thing. <sighs> you got to click the thread. Show the okay. thread. I'm curious. I'm curious about Jack's best episode being the Knox. It was either Broken Divide or the Knox. I so, voted Knox because that was the one where he actually kind of learned something. The very young do not always do as they are told. Like there's actual sort of like character growth for Jack in that episode. Yeah. Which I which I I, I don't disagree with. So. I'm gonna ask a stupid question because yeah. I should know the answer. Is Lazarus in season one or season two? Cold uh, Lazarus? Yeah, yeah Cold Lazarus. One. That's yeah, that Jack. That's the Jack episode to me because of Ooh. all the interaction with Charlie. Yeah. I mean, that was up there. I, I had a hard time deciding. Did I think just... we gave that one an honorable mention in our favorites. Yeah. I yeah. think that that made, like, for the top five overall episodes. Oh, okay. On one because of our lists. I, I could see so. that for because, you know, you had Jack actually showing real emotion toward the the crystal entity that had assumed his son's identity and then you know it, when that little little hand reaches out he thinks it's really charlie and then you've got daniel stepping forward and going jack you know it's not him yeah. and yeah. i like that yeah i mean it's a good one it's definitely up there for sure yeah uh, and then the last two polls, the best otherworldly being, the winner was the Knox. <sighs> yes. Laya. She's yep. awesome. Yep. Uh, and then the best villain, I win with Senator Kinsey. Oh, man. Uh-huh. I hate him so much. Did anyone agree with me that it was Hathor? You always yes. got to go for the mama? All right. You got, oh. you got, you got 35.3% of the vote. So. Well yeah. done, 35 point. Three, two, four, seven, six of you. <laughs> see, I can see Hathor. I, 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 I don't know that I would vote for Kenzie just on the general principle that I hate him too much to vote for him. As the, no. as the villain, as the every, villain. Every the, good sci-fi franchise, you know, you got to kill the big bad mama. Yeah. A couple of times, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh, but I'm a season ahead of us. Yeah, a little bit. Well, I have to say that I'm very excited people actually voted. Thank you. Yes, thank you, everyone who voted. Um, Probably, I think I had a lot of fun doing that, like, recap episode. I think, Rachel, you did, too. And 
So I, I think did. we'll probably do it again at the end of each season, just as a sort of wrap up before we move on to the next season and, you know, do all that I stuff. like it. I think now that we kind of know that we're going to be doing that, we can think of a lot more polls and yeah. wrap ups because that went pretty Categories. quick. We had like five of them yes. and we went through it in like 10 minutes. Yeah, it was a lot shorter <laughs> than I was anticipating it being. <laughs> So, yeah, so we, we shall, as, as we go through the episodes of season two, we shall make notes and queries about possible categories for our wrap up. And oh, yeah, yeah, the other thing we were supposed to be yeah. keeping track of by now are our memos. Oh, that I got it. Oh, okay. I got to go back and do the memos. I haven't done yeah. that. I will do that. Okay. All right. Let me make a memo to, to, to look up the memos. <laughs> Yeah. Always remember, don't touch things, Daniel. <laughs> yeah. Don't eat things. Eat. Right? Yeah. Don't eat strange food on alien planets. Don't get married on accident by having sex. Um, don't get, you know, drugged out of your mind. Yeah. Um, you know, just, just little stuff like that. Don't bring home viruses that are going to kill the yeah. planet. And don't yeah. bring back the plague. Please. Right. Yep. Don't destroy an entire planet's defense system just because you need to get out of a cave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If yep. you can't reach a planet because their sun is in the way, there's probably a good reason. Don't go through it. <laughs> oh. Uh. That's a memo that should have been issued in advance. See? Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah, we really need to start keeping track of these. <laughs> we should see how many. Uh, we should see how many they continue to violate. Oh, oh, that would be like good. second offenders. Yeah. Oh God. Like, damn They're it! We told it. you not to have sex with people on planets. <laughs> oh, damn so it, gonna, Daniel! Damn it, Kathy! <laughs> oh, I'm gonna take that up when we get there. Anyway. I mean, uh, that became a meme, damn it, Daniel. It did. He says it so much. It's like, damn it, Hardison. Like, damn right. It, Daniel. Damn it, Hardison. Yep. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, we're going to have to keep track of multiple offenders. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to start a whole new document just for the memos. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are we ready to get into the Serpent Slayer? Yeah. All right. So this originally aired on June 26, 1998, a mere three and a half months after season one finished airing. It was written by Brad Wright and directed by Jonathan Glasner, his final directorial appearance on the show. In this episode, SG-1 must stop Apophis's invasion force before it reaches Earth and escape with their lives. So do you think the bookends were filmed together or separately? I mean, separately, like they, yeah. they they wrapped season one and then came back and picked up season two and made sure, you know, everybody looked exactly the same as they were when they left continuity. Do you, do you think that they had already filmed all of season one before they started shopping Children of the Gods around? I don't think so. I think it was just a pitch and Showtime bought the show from a pitch and then they filmed like specifically for Showtime. Okay, so even though most people consider Children of the Gods the pilot, it's not an actual pilot. Yeah, I mean, it's a pilot in terms of... It's, it's the first episode. It's the first episode, yeah. So it's, but it's it a wasn't, a, it wasn't a test run to see no. if the audience would respond. Okay. Yeah, 
No, like I still really like the ultimate pitch for the show is like you've seen the movie, right? You love the movie. It's all about how like, ooh, we go to this one planet with the Stargate. Wait for it. It goes other places. What? Yes. <laughs> like the best basic science fiction plot like ever. It goes more places than one. Right. I love it. You love, love the it. movie, right? What we're going to yeah. do is deconstruct every single thing that we was was made canon in that movie, but yep. we're still the same universe, except our Jack O'Neill has a one L instead of two. No, we have two instead we of one. We have two instead of one. Yeah. And the other one is a real stick in the mud. Yep. Yeah. And also, Abdus <laughs> isn't on the other side of the known universe. It's just next door, but that's okay. Right. So are, yeah, they advertising, like, are they advertising the show? This one you get more O'Neill. <laughs> <laughs> I think probably a lot of their pitch was, hey, we hired RDA. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yes. In the, in the late 90s. Hell yeah. He was hot as hell. Oh, yeah. yeah. So before the episode starts, we get a previously on recap that's basically the last three episodes of season one with Christopher Judge doing the previously on Stargate voiceover. And also I noticed on Netflix that the nudity warning is still in place, even though there is no more nudity in the show ever. Yeah, but so. we can keep hoping. <laughs> but yeah. But no. Well, I mean, but, there well, is. There is. I mean, yeah, seven and ten. There's a bit of. Or is it nine? No, it's it's Black. it's it's um eight. no, that's still eight. Yeah, or is it the end of seven? Crap. Anyway, Daniel does get naked twice. Jack's the general, so it's yeah. eight. Okay, that's right. Anyway, not like you guys have pinpointed those exact scenes or anything. Right. I mean, Nick no. and Michael Shanks is what got me into the show, so you know, I'm always gonna remember <laughs> that. I'm, I'm not gonna die. Hell, I'm not gonna say none. Nope. <laughs> I mean, hey. we have any conversation off mic, right? And I can just uh, mm-hmm. I lead the fifth. <laughs> okay. Stays on the podcast. <laughs> What's that on the podcast? Stays on the podcast. And yes. everybody who's listening, so. Yes. Yes. Anyway, um, so when the episode actually opens, we actually get a really nice zoom back in on SG-1, counterpoint to the sort of zoom out that ended season one, which I thought was really cool. So if you sort of like watch these like back to back, you like zoom out and then just zoom back in. And it's really cool. It's the same and, shot. Oh, you think, is it just the same shot reversed? Yes. You think? I okay. noticed. Okay. Um, because I used that zoom in, zoom out, and I swapped directions at a different time when I made the coming home video. Oh, okay. And it, it's, it's the exact same shot. Okay. Yeah, well, 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 good on the editor for thinking about doing that because it works really well to get you sort of back into the show, both like literally and figuratively. So yes, it does. Thumbs up to Very them. Very good shot. So Jack is checking with Sam that like the C4 is all set where it needs to be. And so they can, you know, blow the ship. And Daniel's like, wait. And Jack goes, Daniel, we don't have time to wait. And Daniel's like, I just wanted to add more C4. So, <laughs> Daniel wants to make things go boom. Daniel wants to make more things go boom. So Daniel puts another thing, a C4, on the, like, control pedestal thing that they're standing in front of on Chlorel's mothership. And then Jack's like, I should probably, like, say something. But, but I, I don't know what to say. So let's just do it. Let's get it done. So we see um, Apophis's ship is coming closer, and we learn from Tilk that Gould mothership's have, like, defense shields, 
so even if Apophis's ship is close enough, us blowing up Chlorel's ship will not affect Apophis's ship in any way, unfortunately. So that's not great. And then we hear the Jaffa start like trying to barge down the doors and Sam lets Jack know that the C4 charges are on a 24 hour timer. And he's like, 24 hours. She's like, I, we were supposed to be like light years away. We were not supposed to be here in like 20 minutes. Right. So yes, they're on a 24 hour timer, which is actually kind of good because it gives them, you know, some time now to come up with a better plan because they are here and there is earth and earth is uh, about to be destroyed. So the Jaffa make it through the doors and they throw in this like silver ball and there's this big flash of light and this really high-pitched annoying sound and we cut to the opening credits and we're back in. Um, A little fun fact when I was looking through like discussion forums for this episode. So uh, in the scene when the Jafar like barging down the door, Jack yells, just a minute! Apparently in Russia, the dub, Jack actually goes, the bathroom's occupied. (laughs) 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 Which I just thought that was funny. (laughs) <laughs> and I, a, a very Jack thing to say, I think. Very. So I just thought, oh man, was... I wish she would have said that. And I'm like, no, why didn't our Jack say that? Because that's really good. <laughs> <laughs> SG1 then come to in some kind of holding cell, and they're all apparently temporarily blinded by what was, we learned, the shock grenade that the Jaffa tossed into the room. And then uh, Jack. Like, yeah, you know, he's like sat up and is talking to Tilk and he goes to like sort of put his hand on the floor to, you know, I don't know, sit up more or go to stand up. But he actually puts his hand on Sam's face and then she just bites it. <laughs> she has no idea what's going on. She's still unconscious, wakes up, there's a hand on her face. So she bites it, which is, I think, hilarious. And I love it. Yes. Yeah. And um, Daniel's like on the other side of the room in like pessimist mode. He's like, we failed invasion's happening they're just gonna wipe out everybody from like orbit and the earth can't stop it we can't stop it like he's just seems to just be like have given up before they've even really tried anything like they've started to try but they haven't really come up with a full plan to stop this scenario from happening which is sad how long do you think they had been knocked out for i was trying to piece together all sorts of timelines of like how long were they this (laughs) i don't know I don't know, an hour, half hour, an hour. It, it, yeah. However long it was, for some reason, Daniel fell on Jack when they when they all collapsed. Oh, Daniel's yeah. hand like hit Jack in the ribs as he went down. So mm-hmm. he was right next to Jack, but Daniel has obviously been awake several moments longer than yeah. anyone else in the room because he's moved away from them. Yeah. He knows he's blind. Yeah. He's sitting over against the gate. Yeah, I mean all that. So yeah, Which but I don't know why. Not... I would think I would think I would think Teal'c would be awake first. Yeah, because he's probably you know had shock grenades thrown at him as part of training. Right, right. And Junior yeah. would would yeah you know take care of everything to would get him, him back up and going again. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, was true. was Daniel maybe behind something and he didn't get like a really full blast of the shock grenade? I'm trying to remember like their exact. He, they were both near the podium. Okay. Maybe Daniel like turned away. I don't know. Maybe Daniel turned away. So he wasn't really looking fully at it. And that. Oh, he didn't have his glasses. (laughs) I was just going to say, was he or was he not wearing his glasses? It could totally protect him. (laughs) Well, wouldn't the glasses be an asset? Because they would filter. I don't know. 
did, did they he have UV so protective lenses? He did have sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but uh, yeah, it's been it's been a while. At least long enough, long enough for them to get dragged to whatever cell they're in and whatever part of the mothership they're now in. Right. All right. Yeah. So we'll go with like an hour. Yeah, yeah, I've always figured it was under an hour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, Jack tries to cheer him up and he's like, we've been in worse situations. And Tilk's like, I don't think we have. Like that's. And that's when someone should have pointed out that they've all died. Yeah. Cause they have, they have died. You have died. Tilk. You have died. You are not dead. So you have been in worse situations. <laughs> someone should have been like, remember that time that we all died. That was, le- that was, that was worse than this. That was worse than this. <laughs> but, but I mean, Hey, Hey, Jack can like see fuzzy things now. So, hey, yeah. the site's coming back a bit. Yay. Uh, we then cut to Chlorel being placed into his uh, sarcophagus by a Jaffa. And one of the, like, unhelmeted Jaffa turns to a helmeted Jaffa and apologizes to him and call, calls him master and apologizes and says he will not fail Chlorel again. And the helmeted Jaffa is like, that's right, you won't, and then kills him. So, Yeah. That that Jafar's obviously not going to fail Chlorel because he he's now dead. But uh, hey, the 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 voice of that helmeted Jafar sounds kind of familiar. Mm-hmm. In an awesome sort of way. Mm-hmm. Totally. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we are back at the SGC and Samuels is there to report for duty by the order of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs at the request of Senator Kinsey. Yay! Mm-hmm. Screw you, Samuels. So this means that Kinsey was like, oh, damn, they were right. I'm going to send somebody else to take care of this. I'm going to go. <laughs> I'm going to get out of Dodge. <laughs> yeah. In any yeah. sense, the most incompetent bureaucratic Air Force officer he could find. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like, great, because when this goes sideways, it won't be my fault. Yep. Right. It'll all be Like Samuels. a true politician. Yep. Get out of my mountain, Samuels. Do you guys know anything about the Joint Chiefs of Staff? Uh, unfortunately, no. They are the chiefs of the five branches of the military, and they advise the president on all military matters. Yes. Ah. it. So I did some looking because I, yeah, I like that's all I know. To I'm like, okay, so what exactly like do they do? So they do advise. They have. I was I was interested in them. They have no actual military authority to like give orders to anybody. They're there in like a. Strictly advisory capacity. The chairman is appointed for a single four-year term by the president. And his vice chairman must be from a different branch of the military than the chairman is. Mm -hmm. So if the chairman is, like, from the Army, then, like, the vice chairman has to be from, like, the Navy or the Air Force or the Marine Corps. Which is pretty cool, I think. It used to actually be that the chairman was appointed for two two-year terms but then in 2017 they just said they'll just make it a four-year term um and there also used to be a sort of tradition it was never like put into rule anywhere but there used to be a sort of tradition that the incoming chairman was from a different branch than like the outgoing one and it sort of rotated between the like the four major branches of the the military that were there at the time um but kennedy broke that rule uh, because he can. So most of the chairmen of the Joint Chiefs have been from the Army. And what else was there? There was another interesting thing, I thought. Does that mean now that there's a Joint Chief, like there's a member from Space Force? 
Yep. Oh, man. So there's the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marine Corps, the Coast Guard, mm-hmm. and the Space Force. Okay, so I, in yeah, it, I say in in ninety seven and ninety eight there were five. Yeah, I did know that. Yeah, so the army has had ten chairmen, the navy four, the air force four, and the marine corps two. Uh, the chairman must be a four star general or admiral, and there was one chairman, Omar Bradley, who was mm-hmm. eventually awarded a fifth star. Um, but that was only given so that his subordinate, uh, Douglas MacArthur wouldn't outrank him. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was the chairman, so he kind of had to be a higher rank than anybody who was below him in right. that chart. Um, there was a proposal in the 90s to automatically bestow a fifth star on whoever the chairman was, but that was not um, approved. Oh, no, that's so, never going to be. They have no. to actually earn that star. Yeah, yeah. Like, I get why they kind of did it in that one situation, but... Right. Other than that, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it's four four-year terms. Editing carry here. It's one four-year term, not four. I don't know why I said four four-year terms. It's just one. That can be extended if the end of the term is, like, in the middle of, like, a war or a national crisis or something. Um, mm-hmm. But otherwise, it's four four-year terms, and then they're out, and... Um, yeah, that, that's the joint chiefs, the joint chiefs of staff and the chairman. So question, so it's somebody from each branch yes, and a separate chairman, or is the chairman also the representative of his branch? I believe, um, oh, I don't know. I think the chairman has, I think the chairman is just one of the reps. Okay. Well, the, the because chairman, otherwise they would end up with two army representatives. Well, the chairman they, is nominated by the president and then confirmed by the Senate. I'm not sure how the other members are. Um, let me see. Do, 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 do. Aren't those just appointee positions? Right. So like the yes, yeah, so confirmation. Do, do, do. Uh, joint staff, Thanks. military headquarters. Do, do, do. You're in the way. Uh, do, do. Composed of personnel from all five, now six armed services, assisting Okay, so no, so the so there's the joint staff, which is the five now six uh, heads of the armed services, and then the chairman and the vice chairman are in addition okay. to that. Okay, that makes more sense wow. with at least having some sort of impartialness, because otherwise, if you're both the chairman and representing your military interest, that could get sticky. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense. So like if the chairman is from the army, you also have an army representative. So the chairman doesn't have to worry about being the army guy. Oh, he right. can just be the chairman. Okay. He may subconsciously also be the army guy, but <laughs> that doesn't right. have to be his primary focus. So he may be pulling the other guy aside and going, do this, do this, do this, do this. <laughs> Maybe. Which, we don't know about it. No, this we Air Force guy stuck. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. bunch of jarheads and flyboys in here. Space Force guys are petitioning to make Pluto a planet again. Who is the who is the joint the uh, the 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 joint chief from Space Force? Is Steve Carroll? Space Force joint staff. Uh, Space Force become the eighth member of the Joint Chiefs. What? Eight. What? Eight. What? Uh, general 
Raymond, no, that's totally should be. Let me eight. No, Chiefs. No, that's not that. Not the guard, is it? Uh, that's part of the. That's part of the army. Let's see. Official website of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Let's click on this and then see what happens to my internet. <laughs> there we go. What sort of uh, list are you going to end up on now? I know. Let's see. See, you, you guys didn't even smile at my my Steve Carroll joke. But I would totally vote for Steve Carell as the Joint Chief of the Space Force. Do you watch that show? I would totally do it. I loved that show so much. Oh, I couldn't. I couldn't do it. I tried. I had John yeah. Malkovich though. Yeah. Come on. I know. It was amazing. Let's see about. I thought it was hilarious, Brie. That was joint staff. My, my husband watches it. He was he was um watching an episode in the kitchen while he was making dinner, and he, like um Steve's character was like the um oh I can't even remember one of the lines from the bad guy from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom the Kale Olek Mar or something like that. He he was muttering to himself, and I didn't. Oh. I I don't know why I just kept walking. I like I haven't watched the rest of the se- the series, so I don't know what it's about. Okay. Oh, I thought it was wildly entertaining. Oh, I he see. They, they're calling it eight because they're counting the chairman and the vice chairman in that count. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. So it's the chairman, the vice chairman, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps, National Guard, and Space Force, space operations. So that's why it's eight, because they're counting the chairman and the vice chairman in that case. So it is the National Guard, not the Coast Guard? Um, oh, yeah, this one says National Guard. The other thing I read said Coast Guard. It it's should be the, the Coast Guard, because the National Guard's part of the Army. Yeah. Yeah, that should be the Coast Guard. There's a typo. We have discovered a typo <sighs> on an official government website. On oh, the, my uh, God. On the Joint Chiefs Staff website. What? So when they because were telling the web person, are... they were just like, no, it's the Guard. Right. And the person updating the website just assumed wrong. No, this says National Guard, not hmm. Coast Guard. That's the interesting. Coast Guard is a branch of the military. Is Coast Guard part of the Navy, like the National Guard is part of the Army? No. No? Okay. I don't know. This is on, like, the... Because the National Guard actually, like, trained and did stuff during World War II, like with the German boats in the water off the East Coast and stuff. They were there to make sure they didn't bomb us. They, like, actually did oh, stuff. Oh, okay. The now they just rescue people out of the Gulf of Mexico. But. The Commandant of the Coast Guard is not a du jour member of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, but is sometimes regarded as a de facto member, being entitled to the same supplemental pay as the Joint Chiefs, and occasionally will attend meetings of the Joint Chiefs of Staff by invitation. So, no, it is not the Coast Guard. It is the National Guard. I want a gig that pays me the same as these other people that do a job I don't do, except when I feel like showing up. Except so, for okay. unless you invite me. Yep. I want this job. Okay. Well, Hopefully just go, you know, go through the Coast Guard training, work your way up and become, you know, the four-star admiral in the Coast Guard. And there, there you, you go. go. There you go. Sweet. Wait, that's, that's what like, you've got to do. You can do that. Paralyzing. Wait, that's like three things. Yeah. 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 Train yeah. in the Coast Guard. Become awesome Coast at the Coast Guard. Get super promoted. Right. Yeah. You can do that. Totally. Yeah. Easy. You got to blow. I mean, come on. Except for the fact that you hate water. But, you know, that, whatever. That too. That too. But, <laughs> anyway, I, is, is that is that enough on the Joint Chiefs of Staff? I think I think we've covered everything there. 
Yeah, we're what, like 10 minutes into discussing the episode? <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so as as you may assume, Hammond is, is very not happy to see Samuels there. And also he's like, why have our military forces not gone on high alert? Because ghoul motherships, like right there. And apparently, apparently the thinking at the Pentagon is that like, if we get our military ready, then the ghouls will know that we know that they're here. So if we don't do anything, then they don't know that we know that they're here. If Which they I, know that we know that they know they that know. we know. <laughs> right. Which this might be like the dumbest idea Kinsey has ever had. And Samuel then tries to give Hammond a very polite, I told you so, because this wouldn't be happening if they just buried the gate like he said. And he's like, well, let's not argue. Because I'm just here to help coordinate a preemptive strike against the Gould. A, pre- a preemptive, like with what? Apparently, there's a new weapon that Samuels has been developing with Mayborn ugh, at Da-da-da. Area 51. And Samuel go, Samuels goes, if all goes well, history should mark this day by two brilliant and unexplained flashes that occur in the night sky. The world should never know how close we came to Armageddon. Things never go well. If you ever start in sentence with, if all goes well, it will not go well. It right. Will never go well. Mm-hmm. No. No. <sighs> so back on the motherships, that uh, Jaffa master that was killed the Jaffa, the not master, just the regular Jaffa earlier is now on Apophis's ship. And he tells Apophis that Chlorel was greatly injured, but he's in a sarcophagus. It'll just take some time for him to heal. And Apophis wants SG-1 dead now. And the master's like, I will see to it myself and heads back to Chlorel's ship. And um, Apophis's new first prime speaks up and tells Apophis that there is no sign of like reaction or aggression or anything from Earth. And so Apophis is just going to like wait until Chlorel like wakes up before he does anything and like attacks Earth. So well, so the Earth plan then was kind of working. Unfortunately, (laughs) although I don't know if it really would have if Chlorel wasn't like mostly dead in a sarcophagus. Right. I think if Apophis... Mostly dead. (laughs) Mostly dead. I think if Chlorel was awake, they would just be charging full force towards Earth. But back on Earth, the delay from Apophis is actually kind of good news for us because now it's giving Samuel the time needed to prepare the weapon so that they can fire it as soon as the ships are in orbit. So what exactly is this weapon? It's a Naquita-enhanced Mark 12A nuclear warhead that should yield in excess of 1,000 megatons. So I was like, okay, how how big is that? So big boom. for comparison, I looked into this. So the bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima was 15 kilotons, which would be the equivalent of 15,000 tons of TNT. So a megaton is a million tons of TNT. So 1,000 megatons is one trillion tons of TNT. That's a lot of TNT. That that's that's a big boom. That's a real big boom. That mm-hmm. that's bigger boom than the C4. Yeah. Oh, very much so. A little bit. And apparently, these warheads have also been fitted with stealth stealth technology to help them go undetected. Which that's like does that, that mean really how stealth works? Because <laughs> They just dressed them in black and took away their glasses. Apparently. Right. Because stealth works by trying to hide, like, the heat signature. 
of the object that you're trying to hide. And mm. like these warheads are strapped to a rocket. Also, you can just see a rocket. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's that. <laughs> so you can just like look out the window and see the rocket coming for them. Like, yeah. Well, and, and, and Hammond does point out the flaw in this plan because he's like, you're assuming the ghoul to have anything even like radar. Yeah, and even if they do, how how do we know it even works the same way our radar works? Right. You know, like like we said, our stealth works because our radar detects heat signatures. So if you hide the heat right. signature, you hide the thing from the radar. So great, we hit our bombs from ourselves. Yeah. We'll never know that. It <laughs> so I guess you know, China and Russia will never know what we did, at least. <laughs> Which is a good thing at this time, I believe. Okay, we'll never know what we did. Right. No. Yeah. The, yeah we can't even see it. They're invisible. <laughs> yeah. So that part of the plan really doesn't, you know, jibe either. But okay. It fits so with Samuels, though. It does. It really does. But we also now get our, we get our first sort of ticking clock marker here. Uh, we learn from Samuels that it will take three hours until the warheads are like actually like ready to launch. And they're sort of starting the countdown from there. But once it reaches the two minute mark, they're going to like sort of pause the countdown until the motherships are in the position that they need to be in. And Hammond doesn't really seem to like this plan because it's a dumb plan and starts to offer his own opinion, but is quickly dismissed by Samuels because these decisions are not up to Hammond. So fuck you, Samuels. Let's just, you know. Yeah, you're only, the, like, the only person that actually knows about these aliens. No, it's like, let's, yeah, let's ignore the advice of the guy who's been here for the last year dealing with these alien people. Right. Let's just ignore him. You, who are 3,000 miles away on this side of the country, nowhere near this thing. Sure, you know what's going on and what the best course of action is. Yeah, sure. And they came up with the plan, like, let's blow it up. Like, no, a lot. And let's name it the Gould Buster. Yeah, the Gould Buster. Like, come on, really? Oh, we're out there busting us some ghouls. Yeah. What would what would you guys name it though? If you had to like name this warhead missile thing whose job was to blow up a Gould mothership, what would you call it? Karen. Oh. <laughs> I would name it You Can't See Me, I'm Not on Radar. There you go. <laughs> Overcompensation. <laughs> oh. Slimer, because you're supposed to be a ghost. Right? He's a ghoul buster. Yeah. Uh, Complete with a catchy theme song by Ray Parker Jr. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Ghoul right? buster. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to sing anything else because I don't want anything to happen. Uh, anyway, so back with SG-1 in the ship, they finally seem to have their sight back. And hey, guess what? Daniel has his glasses now. Oh, yep. okay. So he's fine. They were just in a pocket or something somewhere. Yeah, he didn't need them when they were sneaking around. Yeah, not at all. And so they hear the very loud stomping boots of Jaffa approaching. And we see the sort of silhouette of the, the helmet opening and then like Tilk and Jack take up like attack positions on either side of the door and the cell door opens and hey, look, it's Braytac. Yay! Yay! And he just punches Jack right in the nose. 
which is great. Just walks in and just punches Jack. It's hilarious. Um, because apparently all this time since Bloodlines, Braytac somehow managed to like regain the trust of Apophis and apparently had come up with his own plan to stop this attack on Earth. And SG-1 showing up just messed all of that up. Like his I don't plan think his like, plan was a bad plan, though. No, I, his I think plan his plan was, was way better brilliant. than the other one. His, yeah, his plan was fantastic, which we will learn a little bit later. Yeah. But, I mean, at least at this point, he's not going to execute them like Apophis one did, so... Oh, well, that's good. That, that's was good. anyone worried? I mean, no. If I mean, I was captured. maybe for a little bit before I was like, is that Braytac? Like, the first time I watched it, I was like, is that actually Braytac? But it was. Um, and also... Yeah, but if you've been captured by a system lord, you always want your, you know, prison guard to be Braytac. Always. Yes. Always. Mm-hmm. Always. He should always exist somewhere on the periphery to save your ass. I wouldn't mind. Yeah. He does that really well. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right, so back at the SGC, Hammond and, like, people there are just sort of watching the ghoul chips on a monitor, and apparently they're still sitting where they have been for the last 18 hours. So there's another little ticking clock for you. And Hammond's like, well, why are they doing that? And apparently Samuel's analysis team thinks that the ghouls are waiting for us to strike first. No, but, I mean, I, that's, I guess that's not a bad assumption to make, but... You know, we know more than they know at this point. They so. think Apophis is Daniel LaRusso. <laughs> and there, Cobra Kai. <laughs> Strike uh, first. Strike hard. No mercy. No, vis- no visibility. No. <laughs> <laughs> Stealth mode. Right. Yeah. But apparently, somehow, neither the Russians nor the Chinese have spotted the motherships yet. So that's good. And Samuel, you know, kind of thinks we're like lulling the Gould into a false sense of security. Which d- doing that always works out well for everybody whenever they try that plan. We have observed that Samuels is a freaking idiot, right? Yes. 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 Quite. Um, I love the are- Earth analysis team to analyze the, the aliens that none of them know shit about. Yeah. That's Ugh. great. Yeah. So, but we do have some analysis from Walter. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did observe a bright flash from inside one of the ships just before they stopped moving, which I'm assuming we're supposed to go with is the big flash that knocked out SG-1, right? Yes. Yeah, that's what I think it was. Yeah. Okay. So they're like, it could be like a normal ship function or some kind of accident, or it could be sabotage. I'm not sure that's where my brain would have gone. Well, I mean... Hammond and Walter know SG-1 were going to stop this event from happening. Mm-hmm. I, knowing that, I don't think it's completely illogical to think I, I, yeah, maybe I, I, SG-1 had something to do with it. I, I, I think mean, Hammond's mind ticked in like seven different directions at once. Yeah. He knew that they had left. He knew that they'd gone to that address. Mm-hmm. He knew that that address's point of origin had changed. So yes. it's logical to assume that it was a ship they gated to. So now that ship is here. That ship could have SG-1 on it. It could be his his kids. Yes. I mean, they could have just been taking a big group photo. <laughs> also true. I mean, everybody, we're about to <laughs> gather around. 
Everybody say cheese in front of the planet. Woo! <laughs> Smile at the big gold ball. Yeah. <laughs> um, Samuels, of course, completely dismisses this notion, but Hammond and Walter kind of look at each other like, we're going to go with sabotage. We'll let you think what you want, but we're going to go with sabotage. Um, also, <laughs> yeah, it's like their, it's their absolute best case scenario is that yeah. SG-1 is on that ship, right? So, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's what makes them happy. That's their happy place. Let's go with that. Uh, also, the first group on the alpha list have arrived. Oh, so question for you guys. If you yeah. got chosen to be, you know, on the list of people that get evacuated to another planet to save civilization as you know it, but it's just you, would you go? Yeah, I don't want to die. Like just you without your family. Oh. I'd Where be they're like, Carrie, like, make- absolutely no one in the world can make multimedia videos like you can we need you to come with us so that you can make all this look like it's really awesome (laughs) (laughs) and this is a good idea but it's just you but you are saving quite literally civilization as you know it can my family be somewhere safe even if they're not with me can is there like a bunker i could negotiate them to get to probably not probably the entire planet is going bye-bye then no. Yeah, I'm a no. No. You? I would not go. Okay. I'd be like, you guys should have planned this way better. (laughs) (laughs) Now, here's my question, and it's a question that I have had ever since the first time I saw this episode. Okay. Daniel, while he was in the alternate reality, learned about the beta list and the beta site. Mm-hmm. Now, even though I'm partial to the alpha site, because that was my website for years and years and years, yeah. um, why did they change it to the alpha site and the alpha list in the actual reality? Why didn't they stay with beta? Because it's still the second site. The alpha site is the SGC. But it's the first off-world site. Okay. Maybe this particular reality is assuming that Earth is not going to survive. And in the other one, they were trying to save it. They were trying to maintain Mm -hmm. both. And then this one, they're like, yeah, we know this planet's screwed. Get everybody off. I like that. That's interesting. I always always kind of thought it was like a... um, like a just if this happened this way in the alternate reality, then we have to do it a different way or name it a different thing. So we are not as close to that reality. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, like, I think that might be part of them it. As possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that might be part of it, too. Like, OK, they had a beta list. So if we name ours alpha, that's another difference that could maybe have some cosmic impact that we're not aware of yet. Even though naming something doesn't really change anything. Right. Makes that left turn a little more pronounced. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I am partial to the alpha site, though. But I always yeah. wondered why they changed it. We'll probably never know unless we get to talk to the writer of the episode. That, that would be Jonathan Glasner, who apparently doesn't speak, talk, the, think, Stargate Brad, at all anymore. No, Brad, Brad Wright wrote it. Jonathan directed it. Oh, okay. Glasner directed it. Okay. Yeah, Glasner directed. Brad wrote well, it. Brad Wright still occasionally remembers yeah. that he worked on this show. So back with Braytech and SG-1, they get their weapons back. And so we learn here what Braytech's plan was 
which was when the attack on Earth started, he was going to take a squadron of Jaffa and attack Apophis in Chlorel's name as a pharaoh's power is most often challenged by their son. And it's really interesting that Braytac calls Apophis a pharaoh, which I believe this might be one of, if not the only time that terminology is used to refer to a system lord as pharaoh rather than gould or just system lord. Like, I can't recall that word being used like any other time by anybody. That's true. That stuck out to me as well. I was like, huh, that's an interesting word that they used. I mean, it makes sense why they would, because that's like what Ra was, you know. Well, Ra was a god. Right, and all the pharaoh were incarnations of Ra. Yeah, so I was just like, that's interesting that he used that. Um, But anyway, since SG-1 attacked Chlorel, it's now actually more likely that Apophis and Chlorel will just, like, bond together and, uh, like, you know, attack Earth, like, even more, because Earth had, like, killed his son. But, like, Jack's confused because isn't Chlorel dead? And he's like, no, sarcophagus, Jack, sarcophagus. And so Braytac actually put Chlorel into the sarcophagus to help delay, like, he somehow sort of figured out that if Apophis knew Chlorel was in the sarcophagus and could rise again, that Apophis would actually delay the attack. So, and he's like, so and maybe by the time Chlorel has risen, the warships of Earth will have attacked. War, 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 warships? <laughs> we, we, we think we have war, warships? No, no warships. But, that. uh, That's we, where we it ha- awkward. We have, we have shuttles? <laughs> Which I love when Jack and Daniel did the little talking and think thing. That's always fun. Um, but yeah, uh, we're 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 in trouble because yep. yeah, there's 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 no ships. So, oh boy. Well, no, I mean, it, 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 uh, now Braytuck <laughs> asks if these are formidable craft, these shuttles, and Jack says absolutely. I mean, come on. I I think he said that sarcastically. Well, absolutely he did, because then he turns to Daniel and goes, bad day. But yeah, bad day. Yeah, real bad day. Bad day is a recurring thing. <laughs> yes. So back at the SGC, Hammond is addressing a group of people in the gate room. This is apparently part of the alpha list. And throughout his speech, we hear the Chevron 4 encoded, Chevron 5 encoded, sort of like a countdown going throughout the speech, which is really cool. And these people have volunteered for a mission to help preserve humanity as the planet is now under an imminent threat. However, they are only just now being told where they're going and how they're getting there. Chevron 7 is locked. Wormhole kawooshes. You're going through that. If the plan to save Earth should fail, the Alpha Site will be their new home and it'll be the first off-world Earth colony. And I just got to say, Don is real good at giving speeches. Mm-hmm. He's so good at it. So good. Yes. He really is. Yep. yep. Everyone look to your left. You're going to have children with this person. <laughs> Basically. I there there that's like from the Stargate program. So they know how to get back. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. I hope somebody. Yeah. There's got to be somebody from the SGC on that list. Somebody that, that could check in and be like, are we cool? Still there? All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
But uh, <laughs> there is there is the recurring goof in the scene when we see the dialing computer once again. It's the address for Abydos, not the address for the Alpha sites. They, they dial Abydos 90% of the time. Yeah, it's real annoying. But anyway. I mean, it, was, it was 97, 98, you know. Computer screens were hard to animate. It would take like, you know, 20 minutes I know. to change the address, you know, and they got stock footage. So, I you know. know, but it's still annoying because everybody knows like they could have picked like P4A771 to show over and over again. But they show Abydos and like everybody knows what Abydos is. Like just well, make maybe they one do up. That, maybe they do that on purpose as a nod to fans. Well, the first couple times they go through the Stargate, the event horizon is James Spader's face stretching out, too, before they decide to uh, stop that and just go straight into the rings. What do you, huh? Wait, what? What? Okay, when what? James Spader walks into the Stargate, yeah, it's his face stretching out and becoming the blue streaks that actually becomes the inside of the wormhole. Mm-hmm. And they still use that same inside of the wormhole shot for the show. And the first couple of episodes, they actually used the stretching blue streaks, which was James Spader's face. Ah. And then they stopped. I never, and they I just never knew started that. started going straight to the, the rings. I'm going to have to go back and look. I never noticed that. Mm-hmm. No, I never noticed that either. Huh. Huh. Okay. That's yeah, they, they did reuse some footage from the movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course they did. Yeah. Back in space, Chlorella's awake and he's real pissed off and wants to burn it to the ashes. Just burn it all to the ground. Burn it. Because they killed him. He's very mad. And I'd be Walter, mad too if someone killed I me. I mean, yeah, I'd be pretty pissed too. And Walter at the SGC confirms that the ships are now moving again. So the countdown is restarted with another hold at 20 seconds if the ships are not in the position that they need them to be in orbit. And Tilk also remarks now on the ship that the ship is accelerating. So here we go. And Braytac says he has three Jaffa that are loyal to him, that he will still attempt to lead in an attack against Apophis. Four, if Tilk agrees to go with him. But the chances of four Death Gliders doing any damage to a mothership is like zero. It's like this big. So Jack's like, yeah. Jack's like, we need a new plan. And Braytac goes, we offer to lay down our lives for your world, human. You cannot ask more. And Jack goes, no, I can't. But I think a better idea is to get the other guys to lay down their lives for their world first. So this is actually a twist on a quote from the movie Patton, like as in George S. Patton, Mm -hmm. where uh, he goes, no bastard ever won a war by dying for his country. He won it by making the other poor dumb bastard die for his country. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. The quote is often attributed to like the real George's Patton, but it's not. It's it's just from the movie. But right. hmm. I, I I think that plan is a better plan. Like get I that agree. This is action. smart, Jack. Yeah. Yes. Uh, also, we have 41 minutes until the C4 blows. So they need to get to the other ship to get the plan moving. Maybe there they is, were unconscious a lot more than an hour. Maybe. Hmm. They had 24 hours and now we're down to 41 minutes. Yeah. Unless they've huh. just been hanging out in the Peltac for the last 20 hours. Yeah. Asleep a little bit longer. (laughs) Having a picnic Uh. playing cards. (laughs) Yes. Although, so in the scene, there is kind of a funny goof. 
It's, I think you kind of need a widescreen version to really see it. Cause I did see a screen cap of it and it's super obvious in the screen cap. And so at the beginning of the scene, when like Braytech sort of walks forward towards Jack, right on the very right edge of the screen on top of one of like the boxes that are there, you can see a pile of script pages that got oh. just, like, tossed off screen. Oh, and it's apparently been confirmed that that is Rick's script that he just was like, oh, crap, we're shooting and just like tossed it. And, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow no one noticed or like used a different take from a diff- from another take where the pages weren't there. Um, but yeah, just like sort of right on the far right side of the screen. It's but it's like right in the middle. But like right on the right side, you can see just this pile of like white paper on top of one of the boxes. <laughs> <laughs> I need to go back and look for that. I don't even know yeah. if I have the widescreen version, though. Yeah, the Netflix is not the widescreen version, so maybe on the DVDs it might My be. My DVDs are from 2004. They're, they were the first issue. They're the big, oh, yeah. the six that build the gate. Yeah. So they're not widescreen either. Mm. I don't know. But, yeah, it's it's kind of funny. But you, you, can, you can just barely see it, but it is there. So okay, I'm going to find that. Yep. Back in the SGC, Samuels confirms that the ships are now in geosynchronous orbit over the United States. That's not how geosynchronous orbit works. <laughs> um, also, I mean, there, there's a few things wrong with this statement. Um, the ships are too close to be in geosynchronous orbit. Um, geosynchronous orbit is over 35,000 kilometers high, about 22,000 miles. Uh, so if we can see them, if, if the, the view from the ship to earth is much closer than that, uh, also a geosynchronous orbit by definition cannot be over the United States. It has to be over the equator because <laughs> it has to be orbit. That's the, that's the geo you're synchronizing with. <laughs> yeah. But well, also, also, America. I mean, I mean <laughs> it's, isn't it super convenient that they're over the United States? Like. Well, because America is the center of the world anyway. I know. Like, well, my so guess would be are, are they they're there to, because like, detect... they know the SGC is. I mean, are they able to like detect the gate somehow from space and to like a gem- maybe not specifically, but they can sort of it's in this area because they can detect the Naquita in it or well, then you think they would be also over the other one. Well, that's also nearby. It's also in the United States. But oh, they've moved it by now. Yes. Ah, I don't remember these. Things. I would think so. Fan wink incoming. Fan wink incoming. Okay. Wink. Daniel wink, wink. had talked to Clo- had talked to Scara at length about life in the United States. <gasps> oh. Did he, but but did he describe what the shape of the United States looks like from orbit? Yeah, or how to find it on the planet. <laughs> yeah, if you just fly. Well, the countries are all labeled. I've seen maps. <laughs> <laughs> oh god if only if only (laughs) either that or you're like okay go over the world and find the country find the part of the world that has a little wang (laughs) (laughs) not a boot but a wang Maybe he did draw a map of, like, the Earth and, like, the sand or something and was like, this is the United States, you know, because we have so many countries and continents and stuff, and Abydos seems to just be that one village. Right. You yeah, know. that yeah, that, that one village that became a whole planet. Yeah. So, 
maybe he did draw like a, a map of the world at some point just to be like, look how cool things are. We know that Daniel likes to draw in sand with sticks, right? Yeah. That's how he said hello to Charade the first time. Well, that was with his finger, but. Well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Drawing in sand. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess, I mean, that's not a bad theory. That's not bad to explain how they know to be over the United States. Yeah, that is just something that he mined from Scar's yeah. brain. I'll take it. The motherships are in position, the missiles are launched, and they should reach the targets in four minutes. And Samuel tries to comfort Hammond by saying that he doubts SG-1 are on the ships. And Hammond's like, okay, well, whatever. Let's keep sending people through to the Alpha site. And Samuel's like, do you really want to do that? I mean, our plan's going to work. And Hammond's like, keep sending them through to the Alpha site. Cause right, yeah. He knows this isn't going to work. Right. And so we then sort of start cutting back and forth between the ships and the SGC as the missiles are launched and they approach Apophis and Gloral ships. And Braytac asks if there's any more C4. There's not. Like, okay, but doesn't Braytac have anything we could use? And then there's sort of a nice callback to Bloodlines where Braytac goes, we shall have to cross that bridge when we get to it. Which doesn't really work in this scenario, but cool for remembering. <laughs> <laughs> And we get a one-minute countdown to impact with no indication of countermeasures. Um, Apophis is informed of the incoming missiles and, like, goes to raise his shield. And we have 30 seconds to impact. And Chlorel goes to raise the shields on his ships. But it kind of seems like Skara is, like, fighting him because he doesn't really get them up right away. And then eventually Chlorel does, like, the flashy eye thing and he gets the shield raised in time. And... Kaboom! And SG-1 also feel the blast from inside the ship. And once the blast clears, hey, look, the ships are still there. And Samuels is completely shocked and amazed that the warheads did absolutely no damage to these alien ships. Surprise! Surprise. Like Independence Day all over again. It is! Uh, yup. Someone so, has to be the resident dumbass. Yep. And it's Samuels. So. Right. Hey. Which, this is actually his final appearance in the show. Yes. Not, well, he comes back in, like, the alternate universe in Mobius Part 1, but that's, you know, alternate Earth, not this Earth, so. Right, right, this, right. You know, the last time we see Samuel here. Yeah, um, I think he got demoted and booted and, like, shipped yeah. off to freaking dig Antarctica. the. <laughs> yeah. Go hang out at, go hang out down there at, at McMurdo for a yeah. while, dude. Yeah. And then retire and go away. So SG-1 uh, continue making their way through the ship and are attacked by a pair of Jaffa and Jack takes them out and Braytac seems very impressed at Jack's capabilities at doing such a thing. And we see Hammond then briefing the president on what happened. And unfortunately the EMP from the blast has affected satellite communications. And that's really the only thing that happened, which again, not, eh, eh. um, well, right, because we didn't want to see it. Yeah. Right. Uh, Our plan worked to hide it from ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, down, the downside is there's not really a way to get, like, a message out to the public to hide or something that wouldn't just cause, like, a mass panic. So apparently they're not telling the people for anything. <laughs> oh, Okay. But the military should remain at the highest defense condition, and the president should get his butt on Air Force One. So. They go where? 
I guess, to get to the, the SGC. Yeah, to the SGC so he can evacuate through the alphasite, I guess. So we get but screw all those other people in those other countries because know, we can't right. communicate with them anymore. It's like the prime minister, the queen, you know, I who anybody else know to get them here on the Concord. Well, that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, I guess there is a thing of we have this very limited amount of time. Right. So, uh, yeah. How convenient. We have 17 minutes. Get here. Yeah. yeah. So Chlorel then heads over to Apophis's ship. And Apophis orders him to start the attack on Earth. And Chlorel responds that his host is strong and he may need more time in the sarcophagus to regain his full strength. And nonsense, you're, you're, you're my son, Chlorel, you're my son. You're strong as you need to be. So Chlorel just go, goes back to the ship to get ready. SG-1 are still like skulking through the ship with Braytac. They have two grenades left. And there's like, you know, guards in every corridor and stuff. But hey, they don't need grenades. No, just watch this. So Braytac just walks down the hall, walks by to Jaffa because he's Braytac. They don't do anything. And then right as he goes by them, he like turns around and like whacks them with his staff weapon and right, takes them right, out. Right. Jack and is also very impressed by Braytac. Flips that staff weapon up behind his shoulder. Yes. It is like the freakingest awesome thing ever. Yes. Because it's like his, his cape does a little flippy thing too. And it's really cool. Oh, it yeah, is. I like the cape flippy thing. Yeah. Back on Earth, the evacuation to the Alpha site continues, and uh, Samuel inter- Samuels interjects and suggests sending a bomb to, like, the cornice that SG-1 went to, or maybe to Chulak, and Hammond's like, uh, no, first of all, the, fir- the first cornice don't work anymore, second of all, there's no reason to bomb Chulak, and Samuels like, fine, can I go to the Alpha site, please? Fuck no. <laughs> Which I, Hammond, no, but Hammond's, what Hammond says is like, is so good. He says, permission denied. The idea is to send the best and brightest colonel. When the time comes, you will stand alongside the men and women of this command in defense of this, in defense of this facility, insinuating that Samuels is not part of the best and brightest. Nope. <laughs> Which is just gold. Love Here, it. Hammond. Yes. I do love how he asks, though, of, like, I volunteer myself. Like, like he's making a sacrifice to go yes. to the other side. Like, I, I volunteer I, myself. I'm willing, yes, I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice myself and go to the other side. I was like, no, you're going to sacrifice no. yourself on Earth with yeah. the rest of us, with me. Hammond's right. like, it's the same thing I'm asking of myself, so you're going to do it, too. Back Plus, on, they don't need a shit weasel, you know. No, they so. don't. Yeah. I'm sure one of the guys going will eventually become a shit weasel. They don't need someone there to start it. <laughs> no, no. True. So back on the ship, they finally reach the Paltac, which is where Chlorel is. And they're trying to come up with a plan. And Braytac's like, no, just wait. And Braytac's just going to like go in. He's like, you're just going to go. And he's like, yeah, I'm Chlorel's loyal servant. Of course, I'm just going to walk in there. Why would they think I've, you know, changed allegiances? Mm. So... Braytac goes in and basically reveals himself to no longer be a believer in the system lords and their power and might and whatever. And fight starts and Chloro gets gets out his hand device and Braytac goes, I die free, which is possibly one of the best sort of death knells, if you will. I don't know. I like it. It works for me. And so Jack hears this, takes it as the signal and lead Sam and Tilk into the room while leaving Daniel behind with Sam's gun in addition to his gun to watch their backs. Because that's what Daniel does so well. Oh, yeah. Right. 
the non-military guy. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you just throw an AR-15 at Daniel and he's going to know exactly what to do with it. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he's had some weapons training at, by this point, but... There's a reason he only carries the Beretta on his hip. Yeah. Yeah. There's a reason Which he's not... Which means he's not competent with the semi-automatic weapons yet. Yes. Um... So they manage to get a hold of Chlorel in the room as two Jaffa come down the hall. Daniel miraculously manages to like take them out, yells for Jack. More That's Jaffa right. come. Unfortunately, Daniel is not so successful this time and takes a staff blast right to the chest for his troubles. And Jack finally comes running out and sees Daniel half dead on the floor like bleeding out and it's just like it's so devastating and Daniel's like I I'll I'm gonna I'm stay and watch your back. You go. I'm gonna stay and watch your back. And it's just it's heartbreaking. It's so hmm. you, have you, know, to, like, you have to mention that even after taking the staff blast in the chest, this man that does not know how to handle a semi automatic weapon yeah. picks it up one handed and kills the guy who killed him. Yeah. That's he he fights to the end. He might not be a fighter like Jack and Sam and Tilkar, but but it's just you're, you're you're right. It's just devastating. I mean, the burnt corners, the burnt burnt edges of the fabric, and the big burn yeah. spot on his chest, and Jack uh, like touching his face, like and, and trying to it pick him well up. <sighs> I like why are you grabbing him by what remains of his lapel to pick him yeah. up off the ground? Do you not yeah. realize? That that fabric is like adhered to what remains of his chest. Stop. Yeah. 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 Ow. Uh, so. I'm not leaving you, Daniel. Well, you're gonna have to. So Jack ship, heads back and in. The ship sails. <laughs> yup. Uh, <laughs> but Jack heads back into the room and tells the rest of the team that he's staying behind. And you can see they're all just like, what? 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 Like they don't get it, but they just follow Jack and. Exit out another door that is apparently in that room that we didn't know about before. It's nowhere near Daniel's dying body. Nope. And we see Daniel start to sort of pull himself along the floor through the halls of Chlorel's ship. Which, ugh. Anyway. Uh, a blood streak on yeah, the ground. Yeah. It's, oof, it's tough to watch. It is. And using Chlorel as basically a hostage, uh, SG-1 and Braytac make their way. Um, so they, they've got they've gotten to the rings on Chlorel's ship, ringed over to Apophis's ship, and they use Chlorel basically as a hostage or a shield to get out of Apophis's Peltac, where Apophis and all his Jaffa are. And be- before they leave, Braytac again, you know, sort of reveals himself to Apophis that, hey, guess what? No more. No thanks. I'm done. And he also destroys like the command console thing that basically controls the ship. And then they all run out of the room. And then at the last second, like push Chlorel back in, close the door and like zap the lock, breaking it. And we get another countdown that the other ship should blow in about six minutes. And if they can get the shield generators deactivated on Apophis's ship, the blast should take them both out because before they left Chlorel's ship, Braytac started maneuvering Chlorel's ship closer to Apophis's ship. And Apophis is very, very disappointed in Chlorel. So here's a question and sort of a trivia thing. So Chlorel was supposed to die for good in this episode. He was supposed to be dead and never come back. Um, but then 
Um, the producers realized how popular Carl slash Scar were as a character and Alexis Cruz was as like the actor of that character. And so he ended up not dying. Do you think this is the scene where Chlorel was originally supposed to, like, was Apophis, do you think, supposed to kill Chlorel here for being such a disappointment? Because, like, we'll get to it in a little bit, but, like, the scene that comes after this with them is sort of where Alexis Cruz was inserted in post some months later because, oh, crap, we can't kill him. But is this the scene where he was supposed to, like, die, die for good, do you think? Oh, I would have thought it would have been the, his magnificent death in the other episode. No, because huh. um, I, based on the timeline of things, they probably started filming this episode or like writing this episode, slash probably filming this episode before season one had finished airing, based on when season one stopped airing and season two started airing. It's only oh, yeah, they had to have been filming. Yeah. They had to have been filming before season one was even done airing. Yeah. Do you think they filmed like a whole big death scene and then they cut it? Yes. For this one? Hmm. I think. So, Brie, what do you think? Do you think this is where Chlorel was supposed to die? I think it would almost have to be unless yeah. they brought everybody back to refilm this scene. Which I um, don't they did. Yeah, because that's obviously Alexis. He's obviously... Yeah. There yeah. and present in the scene, whereas, yeah. the, you know, the, what's coming up is is blatantly obvious. There is something yeah. wrong yeah. With, with that. Yeah. Thing. Um, yeah. But it's I, I think this would have had to have been. OK, mm-hmm. I'm yeah. glad they cut it out. Me too. I'm, I'm glad they got their CGI guys to go in and <clears throat> do what they did. Yep. Uh, just. Because I can't, I, and what other footage did they put in to fill in for it, too, you know? Was it just that scene later on? I think so, because after this scene, that's the final scene with Apophis and Chlorel. Right. Right at the very end. So he would have to be, it would have to be the scene unless there's another scene somewhere else. There, there would like have executed. to have been. Yeah. There, yeah, to, to, fill, to fill up a time gap. Yeah. Because if they cut part of this scene out, then they need to make up that time somewhere else or their episode is short. Right. Which I'm sure they had plenty of like boot leather. They could have jumped in places. Yeah. Yeah. You know, 10 seconds here, 10 seconds there. And suddenly you have two minutes. Right. Right. And there are a couple of clips that are repeated. Yes. Pay attention. Yes. The same Jaffa run down the hallway like four times. But. (laughs) Yep. We'll just ignore that. Yeah. Okay. So Braytac leads SG-1 through the ship to near where the shield generators are. And they're apparently at the bottom of like this very long shaft where they will have to like climb down through the bowels of the ship and cross many platforms and then using their weapons or Ejack could just drop the grenades on it. And hey, I did like that a lot. Yeah, it, it's kind of reminded me of like the Indiana Jones thing where it's like sword, 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 gun. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So cool. And Jack's just like grenades. Grenades. Yeah. See? Grenades are good. Cool. The the shield generators are down now. Now now what? Now we die. No, Braytech, no. That, that, <laughs> that's a bad that's plan. A dumb plan. That one. That's a dumb plan. Uh where's the glider bay? Can we get, <laughs> can we get there? Because that would be good. Uh the SGC is also aware of the ships moving closer together, and apparently the Endeavor shuttle is ready and standing by to do something. I don't know what. 
And uh, luckily, SG-1 have made it to the glider bay. And Jack starts to come up with a plan to take out the Jaffa that are, like, standing guard. But no need, because Braytac has a shock grenade. So, see, grenade. Ha ha. Uh They both have grenades. Yes. I do like how Jack and Braytac always have the the competition of, like, that's not a knife. This is a knife. Yes. That's not a grenade. Yes. Uh, so they run in Braytac and Jack get into one glider Sam and Tilt get in another back on Chlorel's ship Daniel's been healed by the sarcophagus yay and apparently the sarcophagus is also now like a washing machine and a tailor and a right. radio shack because his machine is uh, his uniform is all new and he has like a radio again yep Oh. And you no know, scorch yeah. marks on his face. All the, the 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 his own blood that was up there, it's gone. He yeah, spot- I noticed that too. Completely clean and spotless. Yep. He's beautiful. Yes. Uh. So, but he gets out and he runs and checks like the the C four he'd stuck on the control panel thingy, and it's like like at a minute fifteen, I think. Okay. So- I have to say something here because okay. in the scene earlier they had said, "Oh, the other ship's gonna blow up in like six minutes." And then yeah. when he checks the timer, it's at like one minute. So yes. from then on, I could not think of the sarcophagus as anything else other than like the biggest easy bake oven ever. <laughs> <laughs> like just with a big old light bulb in it that cooks something in five minutes. I mean, it does get healed awfully quickly. Uncooked Daniel in this instance, right? Yeah, yeah uncooked. Five minutes. There you go. <laughs> Easy bake, Daniel. Yeah. Bye. Uh, <laughs> so, That's what I got. Daniel's addicted to the easy bake oven. What are we going to do? <laughs> oh, no. Oh. I will uh, never think of the sarcophagus the same again. Thanks, <laughs> Because what did it take? I mean, Daniel, uh, uh, Clarell was dead, and it took him, yeah. like, 20 hours, hours right? Yeah. To heal. Yeah. And that's with a Gould helping. Yeah. Daniel had to have literally fallen into that sarcophagus dead. Like, his dead body toppled in as he, like, spent his last breath dragging himself up the thing. Uh-huh. Right? He was dying. Yeah. But and he crawled all the way across the entire freaking ship to get to that sarcophagus, first of all. And then he is, yeah, yeah, he's done in like, you know. Yeah, he crawled all the way through the ship into the sarcophagus and got healed in less than five minutes. Yeah. Five minutes. Easy yeah. big Daniel. Yep. <laughs> yeah, somebody, somebody wasn't keeping track of time real close in this. <laughs> No, I mean, what? it's still, if you ignore that, it's a glorious undeath scene. It is. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. When he opens his eyes, it's like the most beautiful thing in the world. Yes. Again. Again. <laughs> Always. Yes. <laughs> yep. Um, back with Apophis, he has noticed that his ship is way too close to Chlorel's and he tries to, like, move it. But, you know, Braytag blew the control console thing up. So, obviously, that doesn't work. So he and Chlorel head over to the rings. Well, he heads over to the rings. If you notice, Chlorel is just standing there nice and still. So we do know that 
this was Alexis Cruz shot on like a green screen later and then like put in there in post. This was originally supposed to be just Apophis leaving his ship. So it is now, though, Apophis and Chlorel ringing to where? Where? Uh, yeah, where are they Where'd going? Because go? the, are they going back to is there what like a, a uh, was it a Keltash hiding somewhere nearby that has rings in it? Like where? Yeah. Where are they ringing to? Because the I only think... other rings we know are on Chlorel's ship. Is there something on Chlorel's? Are they OK? Are they ringing to Chlorel's ship to get to the Stargate to leave? That's I don't one theory see, I that, that's one theory, but I don't I don't buy that one. OK. Um, and I will tell you why, Dude. because we see what happens and we see who happens to go through that gate at zero on the countdown. And it's not them. So if so, they had ringed to Clarell's ship, they would have blown up. Or the other theory I saw was that they ring get there as Daniel runs into the room, the gate has like just shut down from them leaving. So they, they got there like five seconds before Daniel did is one of the other theories that's out there as far as where did Apophis and Chlorel go? Okay. Except the rings are in the room that Daniel dragged himself from to get to the sarcophagus. He would would have run into them in the hallway. Unless so, there's multiple ways to get to there. And since it's their ship, they might know a shortcut. That's true. That's true. Because Daniel's going to stick to the outer ring of the hallway. Yeah. He's, he's not going to yeah. duck in and outdoors all the time. Yeah, so. he's he's going to know the one route they took between those two rooms. Right. Which was probably not the most direct route. I could see that. So. Are there rings on Earth? No, not at this time. Okay. I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't remember if they were there, just hadn't been discovered yet, or if they aren't I don't think there are rings at all, even in Antarctica. I don't think there's rings there. I think the only time we see rings on Earth is a hallucination anyway. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, the the prevailing theory seems to be they gated back to Chlorel's ship to get to the Stargate, and they went through the Stargate just just before before Daniel Daniel did. Because it took Daniel over a minute to get from the Peltac to the gate room. If they ringed into the Peltac just after Daniel left the Peltac, took the quick shortcut route to the gate room, which they would know because it's their ship. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like sort of you're talking like by the skin of their teeth kind of timing. But with the right. way the timing has been working in this episode, I say it's not out of the realm of possibility. It seems to make the most sense. Yeah, I guess if if you if you're thinking that they went if 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 the theory is they went before he did. Yes. I wonder if they just kind of wrote that in there and they were like, nah, we'll figure out where they went later. <laughs> it's just yeah, because I don't think it ever even gets answered in like a future episode. Like no, it's it's like one of the enduring questions of the show is yeah. where the hell did they ring to? Yeah. Because we know they're we we don't know now, but we learn later. Um, <clears throat> when we learn more about the rings, that there has to be a direct line of sight and a physical proximity between yes. the transmitter and the receiver. Right. So they can't ring across the galaxy back to the planet they came from. No. Work. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe they had rings on the moon. They just... <laughs> or a hidden Keltesh somewhere. 
cloak. Yeah, I mean, it's era. not like we've it's not like we've we've had plot lines that revolved solely around cloaked ships before. Yeah, nope, never. No. Yeah. Um. So anyway, as we said, so Danner runs through Chlorel's ship, gets back to the gate room, tries to remember the address for the beta site, which is our alpha site, but the same place. And meanwhile, back in the glider bay, the glider's like, you gotta go! And they take off just as Daniel jumps through the gate right as the ships explode. Back at the SGC, reports are coming in from all over the world about a huge fireball in the sky! Yay! Yay! Samuel's prediction came true, but he had nothing to do with it. Nothing at all. Uh, So the ships are destroyed, the invasion is stopped, and SG-1 is safe-ish. In, in their gliders, but the gliders are kind of cooked and they're like, apparently weren't quite fast enough and get like stinged in the blast. And they're like low on power and they're in a very low orbit. So apparently they're just going to burn up in the atmosphere soon. But hey, look up. It's Earth. They saved it. And it's beautiful. Yay. Not a bad day after all. So, oh wait, no, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's... <laughs> nice. I don't... We die free. Yes. Or not. Um, Okay. So, but look, it's Earth. They saved it. Yay. Woo! Back at the SGC, we have an incoming wormhole with SG-1 signal. And it's Daniel. He made it. He was able to use Earth as the point of origin and get to the beta site. But cool. Where's the rest of SG-1? Okay. So, here's another debate. How does the gate and specifically the point of origin work because is it a hard-coded thing or is the point of origin just a sort of blank button but like it almost has to be hard-coded because it's a starting point so as far as the gate on Chlorel's ship knows the starting point is light years away so he can't use Earth as a point of origin because Earth isn't the point of origin of the gate. I think the way they wrote it in this episode, because they the, the reason that the gate address was valid was because it was in orbit around the planet whose address that was. But the gate had been taken from the planet to the ship. Right. So once that gate moved away further, moved away from that planet, any... Like anything that referenced that planet was no longer valid because that planet was gone. So the gate was just kind of wandering alone in space with seven of its eight chevrons hard coded. But because the ancients would have had to put these all over and I, I think they left the point of origin just kind of native to whatever planet it happens to be on, not. Just because that's, you know, makes it easy for this and explains why he was able to do that. But they use that same kind of thing multiple times in the series where they move the gate from one place to another and the point of origin changes. Right. But I would think the gate would have had some sort of like, you know, super awesome GPS like technology throughout the universe to be able to tell where it is. You think so? And adjust accordingly. Yeah. Okay. So I was say, because if, if it's a hard-coded thing, like, if Rachel and I both want to get to the same place, our, even though we're both on Earth, our point of origin is very different because we're not in the same place. So I can't give her the same directions that work for me, which is what a gate address is. It's like the directions. 
for how to get to a planet. And if you use the point of origin for, you know, where that gate originated from, that those directions aren't going to work because that's not where you're actually starting from. Well, yeah, but Apophis is the one that changed that whole thing. I think that gate was intended to be on the planet they came from. And he took that Stargate and put it on that ship for whatever right. reason. Apophis right, yes, yes. relocated it. Yes. I think the gates, in order to maintain the integrity of the network, and it's also with the with the drift, they had to compensate for points of origin because of the planetary drift. That's why addresses weren't working. They had to recompute where they were. Um, and then coming back, they had to, because Daniel used to have to write down how to get back to Earth from where they were. Remember that? Right, yeah. He couldn't just dial Earth from memory every time. He had to write it down every time. Like, it was a different address every time. Right. Yeah, I think that I think that the gate system, to maintain the integrity of the network, I think the points of origin just automatically adapt so like to wherever like, they happen to be. It, it's because like it's not like you're giving... GPS. It's not like you're giving directions to, you know, how to get to Cleveland from someone in Chicago and someone in Los Angeles. Yeah, they're going to be completely different directions. But we have one gate on Earth and there's mm -hmm. one gate on Abydos and the directions between Earth and Abydos are always going to be the same because you're leaving right. and arriving at the same place. Right. So, right. yeah. All that's right. What I think. Okay. Now I have a question. Yeah. Why the hell did he do all that? Why didn't he just dial Earth? Because he had to use, he said he, he used Earth as the point of origin, so, which as we learned in Solitudes, if you use Earth as the point of origin and you dial yourself. No, that's not what happened in Solitudes. No, well, actually, it, is, it is what happened yeah, in Solitudes. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, they, it's, they just it's, didn't it's, know it was Earth. Right. And if you, if you try point. to dial Earth using Earth as the point of origin, it doesn't work. Uh, okay. He would have gotten the busy signal. He would have gotten the busy right. signal thing. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Back with SG-1, just sort of floating through space. And this is where we get Jack going. Maybe this wasn't such a bad day after all, because the sunset is looking pretty spectacular from up here. Mm -hmm. And then Braytac's like, yeah, we will die free after all. And well, maybe not. Because, hey, look, it's Endeavor. Right. Yay. And they've got their cargo bay doors open. Yay. Which makes me wonder just how freaking large were the cargo bay doors of the Endeavor? I, okay. So, yeah, here's the question. Did the gliders go into Endeavor? Like, how did they get out of the gliders into Endeavor? Like, did the whole know. glider itself go into myself. Endeavor? I'm or... like, does Endeavor have, like, a big, like, uh, uh, a toy crane arm, and it just, like, reaches out and gets them out of the... I don't know. Yeah. I have never understood that. That's the other enduring question from this episode. How did they get from the glider into Endeavor? It's a good I, call. I mean, no we've idea. seen the size of death gliders, right? They're, they're pretty big. They're pretty big. They're about uh, the size of, you know, a, a, a F-16 Tomcat, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think two Tomcats could fit in the cargo bay of a space shuttle. No. no. I don't think one could. <laughs> they used to launch them off the back of 777s. Um, the, the Enterprise launched off the back of airplanes, commercial airplanes. So they're not yeah. that big. No. They're really not that big. Hmm. So... I don't, I don't understand how SG-1 and Braytech got into Endeavor. I was wondering myself how long it took them to mobilize that shuttle. Uh, did they mobilize it as soon as they, they saw did. the explo- as soon as Daniel came back? So they launched they saw... a huge shuttle and the rest of the world, they were like, it's fine, it's totally fine, nothing weird to see here. 
Yeah, and then did they did Endeavor just fly around looking for them? Right. I mean, maybe. they looking said for them, that maybe the shuttle. The, the, they had Endeavor on the landing pad at Kennedy, ready to go. Yeah. Or launch pad, rather, at Kennedy, ready to go. But someone had to tell them to go, and and, and where it's not go? a short process. No. no. To launch a space shuttle. No, it's really no. not. You don't it push a button and it flies up like a freaking Coke bottle. Yeah. You know? Apparently, luckily, the weather was good that day at Kennedy. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Lingering questions. Yeah, lots of them. Yeah. I wonder if Braytech was like, those are the warships you were talking about. <laughs> no, that's that's the shuttle. Serious? That's that damn. Shuttle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Back at the SGC, SG-1 and Braytac enter the gate room to thunderous applause for saving the day. Yay! Uh, Hammond extends his thanks to Braytac, and we get Braytac calling him Hammond of Texas with the hand over his head, indicating that he is bald, which is always hilarious. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, thanks him for his help, and he's like, you're, you know, you're welcome, but, you know, I got to get back to Julak before... This whole rebellion thing like spreads too far and people know what we did. Like he's got to get back there and do like damage control a little bit in some kind of way. So, but before he goes out, they do need to ask him some questions. So he goes right. off. And that. he also wants to be the one to bring the the good yes. news of yes. Apophis and Chlorel's death to his people. So yes, mm-hmm. and at this point they all think Apophis and Chlorel are dead, which not a bad assumption to make. No. So um oh but there's someone else who is gonna be very happy to see sg1 <gasps> and it's daniel, daniel, it's daniel. and they hug and we get space monkey space monkey and ee, yay space you know what and- i was so annoyed by that though like he just waited meekly behind everybody until he was like called on if so- i was daniel i would have like run at him as soon as they came in the room oh. he's the, the way he walks out though is like he's so nervous about doing it that way He's like really hesitant coming around people. I've always thought, like, yeah, you know, excuse like, me, I, yeah, tapping the big, yeah. the great big guy on the shoulder to get out of his way, you know. Yep. And then I love that Jack is the first one to run to him. Yeah, yes. that was cool. And any, any, anyone not on board the ship when Jack was unwilling to leave a dying Daniel behind is now on board, off the lifeboat, yes. safety vest yes. off. <laughs> yep. Yes, it's Jack Daniel has firmly set sail. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, From the hair ruffle to the space monkey, it's space all monkey. over with. Yep. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the end. Yay! Yay. Um, we sure so- did clap a lot for stuff in an episode that we've been ripping the holy crap out of for the last hour and a half, didn't we? <laughs> That's what we do. <laughs> We rip it apart, but, and then we say how much we loved it. Right. But we yes. promise. We love this show, we and promise, this is one of it. our favorite episodes. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Um, any memos from this week? Don't have your big plan be we're going to shoot at it and go boom. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, don't have your only plan. Anything <laughs> named anything Buster will bust nothing. <laughs> Uh, never let Samuels name anything ever again. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes. Along with that, yeah. Um, uh, more grenades. More grenades. Yeah. More grenades. More grenades. Grenades the better. Yep. 
Um, next time out, they should have a memo to steal some of those sarcophagus. Sarcophagi? Sarcophaguses. Because, damn, those come in handy. They really do. Yeah. Any kind of, you know, broken yes. arm sarcophagus. Right. Right. They could single-handedly eradicate the mending, yeah. you know, industry as it exists. It just yeah. pop your ripped skirt right in the sarcophagus. It'll be back out in five <laughs> minutes. Perfectly fine. Talk about bringing back the beneficial technology. Right. <sighs> Easy the love of your out. life has a giant hole burned in the middle of his chest. Just put him in the sarcophagus. He'll be Got fine him. in five minutes. Yay. <laughs> yep. Uh, yep, that'd be my let's memo. See what else. Daniel is a much better shot without his glasses than with. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, that's man. all I got. Yeah. Dear Daniel, they were in your pocket the whole damn time. <laughs> uh, we should start looking for that. Yeah. Uh, I have some like general trivia for season two since we're starting season two now. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently season two is the only season where all five main cast members. So SG one plus Hammond appear in every episode. Hmm. So, wow. Yep. That is pretty interesting. Ah, uh, but it's a, it's, it's, it's a squeaker. It's a super yeah. squeaker to get Shanks in on, um, oh God damn it. What? Which one? The wormhole, the black hole, the wormhole. Uh, mm, mm, um, um, matter of time. Matter of time. Matter of time. Okay. Yeah, matter of time. Mm. Because Michael Shanks was not working that week. Do you know why Michael Shanks was Was not working that week? Is that the appendicitis thing? No, No. Tatiana Shanks was born that week. Oh. So they had written him out of the episode, and then he just comes in on the tag. But he still made it, so it still counts. Yeah, still counts. Still counts. Still counts. Yep. Um, episode titled "The Serpent's Lair," I think is pretty obvious here. They're they're in the Serpent's Lair, you know. Yeah. In this one. Um. So I did find some uh foreign language titles like we did last time because I thought that was fun. If if you're interested. Oh, yeah. 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 The Italian one. Okay. Uh. So the Italian one is "Attacco alla terra," which is "Attack to Earth." Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, French is la uh, <clears throat> la mesure du serpent, which is the serpent's bite. I thought uh, you were going to say butt. <laughs> no, bite. <laughs> Not butt, bite. The German is die invasion, Kampf um die Erde, which is invasion, battle for oh, earth. Cool. What was it? Invasion, battle for earth. Well, so that we had invasion part one, two, and three. Yes. Why is this not part four? I think because it's not. Because <laughs> it's a new season. They're going a little bit crazy. Yeah. Damn Germans. Battle for <laughs> uh, and then the Spanish the Spanish is La Guarida de la Serpiente, which is just the serpent's lair in Spanish. So ah. there you go. Lovely. Uh, any final thoughts, questions, comments, concerns? I love this episode so much. Me too. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Good bit. Good way to kick off the season. Yep. Makes All me right. miss my boys though. I know. Makes me miss so much. I wish they would do cons. Like not just creation, but like can they come do like C two E two or like Wizard World or something, please? Because that'd be Probably cool. Probably not, because I think Gary owns them. <sighs> Big sigh. Yes. Yeah. 
All right, Bree, as a reminder, where can our listeners find you on the interwebs? My name is Brianna Davidson, Brianna25. I am on a podcast called Cobra Kai Companion, Companion with a K. Um, And we are a podcast about Cobra Kai. Go figure. I think we yeah, he's got over or we've got over 80 interviews now. Um, I need to count episodes because um, we are I mean, we did our 100th episode like uh, two years ago. So I'm wondering <laughs> where we are now. Um, and let's see. We just crossed 5000 subscribers on YouTube is Cobra Kai Companion with a K Cobra Kai pod on Twitter, Cobra Kai Companion on Instagram and Cobra Kai Companion on YouTube. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. You can find us here on Twitter at SG underscore Rewatch or send us an email at woo, SG Rewatch. That's W-O-O-S-G Rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us, please. And we will see you next time for In the Line of Duty. Bye, everybody. Bye.